Hey, nice to meet you. Very nice to meet you. How are you doing today? Good, good. I got two Amy's. Two Amy's. Imagine that, right? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> this is the it's the A team. <laughs> to My Racist Friend, a podcast about the messy parts of relationships that help us grow together. I'm Amy McKeese, and I'm here with Don, Don Griffin and special guest, Dr. Amy Banks, author of Wired to Connect, and, and another one that'll be next year, right? Yep, coming out fall of 2021. Fighting Time, co-authored with Isaac Knapper. Yep. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, so here we are in the middle of the pandemic and- uh, Fighting I, time. Fighting time, exactly. Fighting time. <laughs> fighting time. <laughs> I don't know if you, like the stuff that's happening in Indianapolis today, if that is making national news. Well, I don't know that it's making national news. What I can tell you as I've been on Zoom calls all day long. So even if it's made national news, it has not made it to my head. So what is happening in Indianapolis? an African-American was uh, shot in the back and he was Facebook live streaming when it happened. Mm. So the, the thing, and you can hear the uh, police talk about how he's gonna need a closed casket. Jeez. Yeah, I, I, um, I struggle. I saw, I saw more tape. Yeah. Of that, where he's talking for for I don't know ten to fifteen minutes beforehand, while they're doing the chase, and he's saying, you know, on that on the longer tape, he's saying, "I'm not going to jail. I'm just not going to jail." Oh. You know, here's the thing: police brutality does exist. I mean, all most of the time. Yeah. I mean, I'm scared when I see a police officer behind me. I am scared to death. I, I I need to make sure my seatbelt is on, that my lights are working, that I'm turning, you know, as a black man, you, you know, or even my son, when I, he goes out, I'm especially out of town, I'm always worried about whether or not we've told him to do the right things because you just never know. The situation in, what was it, Georgia or Atlanta? It was Georgia, wasn't it? The Georgia, other one, the, the jogger, yeah. The jogger. Yeah, the jogger, I mean, yeah. you can't, you're not even safe as a black man when just, run jogging you know yeah. this this one i i hate that at the african community as well as everyone else should be mad for abuse of power but i hate it when we sometimes latch onto the wrong model and here's the thing we don't know i i i, I should this guy have been shot to death i doubt it, especially if he was shot in the back right I'm sorry, I'm, ta I'm talking a lot, but it just, I, I, ju I literally just got done watching this yeah. before I got on the, oh my Lord. got on here with you guys. I just now got through, right. me and my wife are watching it and just mm. uh, in shock and everyone's telling him, his friends, his family are saying, 
you're stupid. Like, this is the stupidest thing you've ever done. Like, stop it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, there's so, he's definitely suffering. Some, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but yeah, yeah, it, just his lack of care and the fact he did not want to go back to jail. Yeah. Had he been in jail? It, he must have. He's saying, I, I don't want to go back to jail. I told you I'm not going back to jail. Yeah, yeah. And hmm. he's counting the amount of cars that are behind him that he's chasing. He, he's, he's excited about it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Right. Right. So I didn't mean to go off and, and just go into no, that, but because you had a point which was valid. Here's the thing, Amy. Mm-hmm. It's valid to be concerned. We do need to talk about the, 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 what's going to happen is Fox News, people like Fox News are going to focus on this guy, the bad stuff that th- was in this guy's past yep. to yep. erase that's right. what happened with everything else, everybody else that's been hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what I have a problem with. Yeah. Yeah. And that will happen. The confirmation bias, right? Whatever bias you're going to look for the, you're going to look yeah. for the information that supports what your position is. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, from what you described, Don, is, is it sounds like this, there'll be plenty and it will, and it's already out there, right? Mm-hmm. And so anybody who wants to be believing, you know, all, all police are good and, you know, black men are threatening are going to hold on to this right and mm-hmm. yeah and it's a black police officer oh it is well when you hear the amount of shots though you 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 know it's not just one right <laughs> one police officer that's shooting right. but there's definitely a black police officer that you can hear talking about the sh- you know yeah. so that's going to be another going to that's, that's another thing that they're going to use Yep. and say, you know, it's not a racism thing. It's a... Yeah, right, right, right. It's not a racism thing. And, well, and I'm, I'm thinking, and in, in how many people will pause to have the much deeper, more complex conversation about whether it's, you know, mental health issues, um, you know, training, police training, what happens if you come across somebody that might have mental health issues and has a gun. I mean, it, it's you know, you, this is what happens is you get, you get none of the, you know, none of the nuance, right? Mm-hmm. You get these damn sound bites that are going to feed into whatever, whatever it is anybody wants to feed, right? And it mm-hmm. perpetuates, perpetuates these, you know, horrible cycles. Yeah. I am so and sorry. E- even me just saying what I just said. Yeah. There are some people that will look at me as a sellout by saying what I just said, by not supporting. You understand what I'm saying? There's a way to simplify in our day and age where we simplify things, whether it's black or white. Right, 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 right Right or wrong. There is no, there is no room for you, especially me as a black man. Right. Saying, well, okay, let's look at both sides. Like you gotta be on one side or the other. Exactly. Right. And so I'm going to get some pushback from this, even though I'm not saying that police are not brutal. I'm not saying that. Right. You're not saying that. And you also very clearly said, don't think even if he had a gun and even if he was being whatever it was, whether it was belligerent or in people's faces online or what have you, not sure it calls for being shot in the back. No. 
right? You know, nope. when when is it ever okay for somebody to be shot in the back, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever freaking color you are. If he was a white guy, they probably would have used rubber bullets on him. Yeah, you think of the images coming out of Michigan with the but, exactly. I was just white men with their weapons everywhere and the right police like calmly talking to them. Right, right, right. If those yeah. were black men, people of color, not a chance in hell. Nope. Anybody would have talked to them, right? Yeah. They wouldn't have made it into the state house, probably. Yeah, getting up. God, there's so much to talk about, isn't there? Yeah. Jeez, I forgot about the guys in the... In Michigan. In Michigan. Just, yeah. And what's been going... So the pushback that I've been seeing, Amy, we haven't talked about this, but, mm -hmm. I, you know, the whole idea, remember I've told you why I have a, a gun and a gun permit, even though I, I, I've, I've had that gun for probably two or three years, and I've... I've seen it twice. It's in my case. It's never had a bullet in it. It's in a right. case because yes. I think that if more African-Americans get gun permits, they'll make it harder for folks to get guns. Now we're starting to see uh, this backlash on Facebook. Huh. I'm seeing African-Americans saying, hey, Second Amendment, if, if the bad guys and the racists have guns, we <laughs> need to go ahead and get our gun permits too. So I'm actually starting to see we're old ladies, little old ladies, yep. women, all talking about getting gun permits now. Very interesting. And you're saying this is really a strategy on, on some level. It, it's my strategy, but unfortunately, it, it, some folks are, just, are saying enough is enough. I can't even jog. You can carry. I, we, we should be carrying. Yeah, right. So just for actual protection. Are you guys, is, is Indiana, I don't know the gun laws there, are, they, are you an open carry state? We are an open carry state. And that's, that's kind of why we started this. We, we from a, a, a farmer's market situation that we have right. here where we've got Nazis and, yep. and uh, the Nazis decided to bring in, th uh, what are they called? Three percenters and, Three and uh, proud boys. Uh, and they, those guys were allowed to come into the farmer's market with guns. Because there's an Indiana law that makes it so the city can't prohibit that. Okay. Yeah, it, pu public places can have, you, you can carry a gun. Crazy. I think, I think Bloomington would be totally hip to not allowing weapons in the farmer's market. If they could, you can't though. Right, yeah. But it must be the same in Michigan too. Must be, or else they couldn't have done that, right? Yeah. Basically, yeah. by law, they couldn't have done it, right? Yeah. And and granted, you know the the images I saw. I don't know if I saw all of them, but the 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 uh, you know what I'll call white supremacists who were actually there were totally up in the face of the police officers. You know, they were not being respectful. You know, they were being in the face, intimidating. Mm -hmm. The the image I saw was a white, clearly a white police officer with just stone face. You know, sort of like the guards at Buckingham Palace. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of too. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I mean, and, and if there's ever a clearer example, right, of how I want to say how bias gets into your body, you know, to me that guy was as threatening as they come, but he can stay stand there just stone faced. Whereas, honest to God, if it was a black guy, there would be, you know, the reactivity. The okay, well, he was threatening me. I'm scared. You know, and it's like all of the the cultural expectations pour into the person's body and he's 
you know, acting w with his own weapon rather you're, than standing there stone-faced. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Culturally, a black man with a mask is scarier than a white man with a gun. Yes, exactly. It's kind of strange. It's, it's horrendous. <laughs> it's horrendous. Right? The white ones get to be the good guy with the gun. Right? Yeah. Right. I, ironically, right? Yeah, yeah. Ironically, because the statistics don't, don't line up with that at all, right? I mean, they just don't. You said something about bias in the body and how it gets there. Would you be willing to say a little bit more about that? Because that's really well, interesting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm really, I'm really talking about how, how people get wired. This whole idea that, okay, you're born into a racist society, which everybody in America is. We'll just stay with America right now, right? The studies are very clear. If I put you know, I'm white. If I put my, one of my children in a school that has, you know, a diversity of uh, ethnicities, cultures, classes, whatever, literally that area in their brains and bodies that respond to difference as if it's threatening mm -hmm. doesn't get built up, right? They see people as people, right? So people get to be black, white, yellow, red, whatever, right? They can be rich, they can be poor, they're just people, right? Mm -hmm. When you keep things separate and then when what gets learned, you know, and you know, it's interesting, I just got, um, you guys have probably read this book, Rising Out of Hatred. Have you read that book? It's, it's Rising Out of Hatred. I just got done with it last week and it, 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 it's a fascinating book because it was actually written, written by a journalist, but it tells the story of the guy who started Stormfront, is it Stormfront? The white, white. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and who's very aligned. So he had a son, Derek, and his son was like an up and coming white supremacist, white nationalist, right? What? Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, it's fascinating. And, and in fact, his godfather was David Duke you know, from the clan, And his father had been a part of the clan, and he was literally being raised and very happily with all of this white nationalist rhetoric. You know, from the time he was a kid, he was on and at 11, he was kind of co-anchoring this website with his father five days a week. He was groomed to take over. And then he went to college. And it, it basically traces his transformation as he meets all of these people. You know, he's been immersed in white. I mean, the, with the theory being that whites are the minority, they are the ones under threat. In all of these ways, he's quoting the statistics that, of course, are old and all been debunked. But during his time in college, he doesn't come right out and say he's this white nationalist. But at some point, someone finds out. Meanwhile, he's befriending people and actually getting to know people. He's getting to know Jewish people, which, of course, were absolutely, you know. Um, so in his world, all of these differences were directly, aggressively coded in his body with danger, right? These are the people, the tribes, whatever, that are threatening our way of life. And he, and so then he has this, really this transformation process. He's now disowned 
white nationalism. He, he's, I don't know that he's going so far as to just go out and around talking about how repentant he is, but it's clear that he really, really, you know, really changed because he met all these people that didn't fit what he was told, right? So when I say it gets in your body, so you have a white police officer, right? I mean, I can make up a story of what his history might have been, but, you know, if he's in a relatively uh, majority status and we've got all of this racism floating all around us all the time, right? We have plenty of examples. That is being paired with his sympathetic nervous system, his fight or flight receptor, a black man threatening, a black man threatening over and over and over, right? A white man not threatening, right? Just not threatening. Doesn't matter who you are, what you are, by definition, you know, it doesn't activate his sympathetic nervous system. And then you send this white man out to police with a gun. You've got somebody that's just reflexively reacting to their own stress response system. 99.9 .9 times out of 100, you know, we can go through the the circumstances that we've seen, a black man's reaching out for his wallet to show them who he is. And of course, the, the, it's the police officer who thinks he's reaching for his gun and he shoots him, right? There's no evidence there's a gun. I mean, this is the thing that just happens all over the place. You know, Don, I'm listening to, you know, what you're saying, and it certainly, has, you know, resonates with anybody or any of my friends of color and my colleagues who say, you have to have a script that you tell your kids. Otherwise, they're not going to live. They're, they're under that kind of threat. I've never said anything beyond, to my son, you know, if you're approached by a police, it, you know what? Just go along with what, what he says, okay? You don't know what's behind it. Just go on with what he says. But I'm not telling him, he's going to shoot you. He's going to, you know, I don't have to, right? I don't yeah. have to. So that's what I'm saying. It gets in their body. And that's where... All police officers need the training. I don't care what color you are, right? You know, everybody needs this kind of training to understand what lives inside of them. If you have the responsibility to protect a community, you damn well better know what your reflexes are and where they come from. I just realized, do, do you guys ever watch um, Dukes of Hazard? Years ago I did, yeah. That, I told you my dad did not allow that. I, and you remember, basically, it's them being chased by the police all the time. Yeah. Right? Like, if the Duke boys were African-American, that would be a one-episode series, right? There would be no, uh, hey, they, they got to, you know, they got off scot-free. It would just, it would end in a shootout. It's, that's yep. terrible. Yes, it would end in a shootout. You got it. Uh, my dad was a police officer. Yeah. Well, the second African-American police officer ever in the city of Bloomington. Yeah. And we don't ever talk about there's this culture where, you know, when, when we see an African-American police officer shoot mm -hmm. a black, another black person, people outside don't understand there's this culture where everybody becomes blue. That's right. a police officer, right? right? right. And right. even the African-American police officers start using derogatory names yeah. 
uh, for African-Americans and for Latinos, and they buy into the system, that whole psychological thing that you're talking about, where they're reflexive, they do the same thing. They have that same fear of an African-American kid or an African, it's right. a weird right. thing. No, and I think you're absolutely right. Like, where's that conversation? Because what you hear, and I'm sure this is partly going to come up here, is it's once somebody says, oh, but it was a black police officer that shot him. Yeah. Like all of a sudden the discussion around race is over, is over. Right. And it shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be. Exactly. <laughs> race is great. That's right. It's uh -huh. like, okay. Get curious about that. Mm -hmm. Right. The, what we're talking about applies to everyone. The racist culture, everybody is marinating in it all the time. You may be able to speak more from your dad's perspective, but they all become blue and actually blue is white. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, absolutely. You know, so if you're going to be part of blue, you know, there is a whole bunch of stuff that just comes along with it, right? And mm -hmm. everybody's talking that language, right? Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. then it gets, it becomes, I don't even know if it's white. Maybe not, maybe not. I don't, I don't be, I think once you're in that blue, you're, you're, you're not at the top, but you're in a situation where you're calling poor whites derogatory names too. You become part of this other that's still better than the rest of everybody else. Okay, yeah. You understand what I'm saying? That, Absolutely, that it, yeah. You, you know, I have the power to then name and define and- uh, Kill. And kill. <laughs> kill. Kill at the end of the day. Right. And, kill. and it's in the name of this, paternal right. safety thing. Father knows best is sort of the vibe that, that goes with it and father's armed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a piece of it too. Like the, I'll keep you safe little lady type. Yeah. Uh, Boy, there are good police officers. And in fact, the chief of police yeah. for the, uh, for Indianapolis, he's an African-American man who is, he, he's an exceptional person. I, I had a chance to, to, to hang with him for a, a weekend. Not, I wasn't in jail. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But, did, you think he was, did you think he was? Be honest. I didn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 uh, I know he has struggled probably really racking his brain over it. This is, this is yeah. hard. Yeah. You right. know? You're absolutely right, and I and I appreciate your bringing that up because it is, you know, again, it's so easy to then just do the us and them, the police, and those of any of us who might feel subject to it, either because we might be uh, stopped or killed, or mm -hmm. you know what I mean, or friends of ours, or people we care about, or just our societies, the ways yeah. that it, it, you know, the police system is systematically terrible. That yeah. doesn't mean the individuals are, they're that's not good individuals, but. That's, that's right, that's right. Jada has been on the, on, on the show before and has talked about what would it look like if police were social workers. Trying to imagine like a world without police is what she was trying to get us to think about. And, and I think for a lot of people, that's just, that's like a, such a huge leap. It's really hard to imagine that. But then when she said, you know, what if it were like a troop of social workers, what would that be like? And that just, I loved thinking about that. Yeah. How come? 
actually I'm grading finals this week. I, I just gave them a bunch of case studies. And one of the questions that they had to answer for each case study was, how does a social work approach to this, been, how is it beneficial to take a social work lens? So I've, I've spent the last couple of days reading over and over while a social worker is going to look at all of the different levels and is going to advocate for policy that eradicates poverty and is going to come at it and notice like these societal things that are causing this mental health issue and try to help on a one-to-one basis, on a community basis, and on, you know, like the big policy basis. Mm-hmm. But I, I wanted them to come out of this class being like, yeah, social work. Right. Arm the social workers, right? <laughs> <We're> <laughs> arm-, <laughs> arm the social workers. <laughs> take back our streets. <laughs> I, I, I love you guys, but I know a lot of crazy social workers. That's the problem. <laughs> right. You do too. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know a lot of social workers you would not give a gun to. Let's be honest. I, 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 yeah. well, <laughs> there's almost no person I would give a gun to. Okay. Right. I don't want right. My, right. my troop of social That's workers armed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a gun is to kill. And yes. there aren't yeah. a whole lot of people I'm going to trust can regulate themselves well enough to keep their cognitive brain online to make a a reasonable decision about who gets to be killed, period. You're absolutely freaking right. How do we put that back in the box? It's already already out there. So what do you do? People are not gonna give back their guns. That's the problem. Right, so maybe three generations from now, if we can one, you know, one 10 year period say, okay, let's, let's just once and for all get the assault weapons off the street. That would be. Okay? Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, next pass. Maybe all the people who were so diehard, I get to have my guns. Mm-hmm. Maybe they die. And I don't mean get killed. Maybe they die off. You know, I mean, it's like, can we outgrow killing each other? Right? I mean, I, and I do wonder, and listen, I'm just, quite honestly making shit up right now no but, i love it but 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 <laughs> what i do think about and i look at i look at the next generation right and i think what about those kids at parkland or what about those kids at columbine or all of our kids who have been under lockdowns and threats and you know they have lived very differently with the experience of guns than you know what i grew up in maine <laughs> <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, there were a lot of guns. There's a lot of guns, yeah. (laughs) A lot of guns. (laughs) They didn't have any, okay? But but the point being, you know, they weren't being brought into the classroom to shoot peers, and they weren't weren't a, a weapon in the same way of disgruntlement or disaffection or being alienated. Do you know what I mean? I mean, there were other things. Of course, there were always other things. People have been leaving other people out for as long as we have lived, right? It it seems to be a a very dark part of some of our biology. But what if we take on what we can, right? What if we take on the assault weapons now? You know, partly I do get this from my um, growingly liberal 21-year-old daughter, who was when she went, you know, through high school and actually then off into college was actually her self-assessment was that both her parents were way more liberal than she was, okay? And so, she, you know, watching her grow into 
a sense of outrage with her own peer community at what it feels like as they've grown up, realizing that from these kind of crimes and these kinds of mass distribution of guns, easy distribution of guns, they too can be killed, right? Mm -hmm. When they're least expecting it. I do wonder whether they can get something done over time, but it can happen with so much white hair in politics. Do you know what I mean? Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. Because they are holding on to this right like it was God-given. Insanity. Dawn, in fairness, my, my, um, for you to know, my father was killed in a robbery, a shotgun. Oh, my God. He was shot by a gun in, uh, when I was 17. So this has been a real thing for me for, you know, uh, for most of my life, right? Most of my adult life anyway. And it has become, a, you know, obviously with my kids and anybody who knows me. So I've got a real uh, thing about getting guns off the street because it wasn't necessary. This was not necessary. Each round of more shootings, whether it's a police shooting a, another black man or Columbine or whatever, you know, it, it just comes back to guns are to kill and people can't be trusted with guns, right? I mean, they just can't. No one's shocked by it anymore. No one's shocked by it. It blows my mind, right? That, that Absolutely. nothing's changed. That's nothing's changed. And I think people don't get changed until it happens to them. And I think that is a failure of our hyper-individualistic society. We are so trained that you know, each of us, I mean, it's bullshit, but each of us have our individual power. It's our right to grow into our biggest autonomous selves, right? And if somebody over there gets killed, eh, they're over there. You know, as long as they're a couple of feet from me, we're good. And until it happens to your father or your mother or your child or your whatever, it doesn't get in in the same way or it gets in for the two-week mourning period. And then people march on, they get back into capitalism, they get back into buying stuff, stuffing their feelings, stuffing their isolation, and I think dissociating from what is actually happening. We are connected species and we are wired, this is you know my thing, we are wired so that, you know, Dawn, if you get shot, it doesn't stop hurting me ever, right? I can't look you in the face. I can't look your son in the face and not feel like I have a sense of responsibility to do something about it, to change it. Mm -hmm. When I stop that, and trust me, I'm not a, you know, I'm not a martyr. I can feel it in myself where I, I stop. I can't take it in anymore. It's like, oh my God, I, how many more grieving families and how much more can you take in until we heal this asinine belief that we as america are more powerful that we're stronger that we should be in power that we know what we're doing <laughs> i don't think any of this is going to change and that the goal is to get to the top of the heap right whatever that is whether it's ceo in a company or chief of police or principal at a school, that that's what matters. 
and being able to go to the mall and order some things that you want <laughs> and have drinks on the weekend. And until we write that isolated strategy, I don't think we stand a chance because we aren't in this together, right? No, nope. nope. We're in this together. It's so We're interesting because that's like a piece of people are complaining about being in isolation now and we're in isolation all the time. I was social distancing. That's what we were already doing. Mm -hmm. Like that was our way of, that's our way of being. And that's why it's so hard to convince people that it's important to, you know, wash your hands and, and, and take care of each other because. Exactly. We don't feel it. Right. Right. Yeah. If you can't wear a mask, if it's too uncomfortable for you to wear a mask to protect anybody beside you, then we're sunk. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We're sunk. That is the lowest bar I think ever humanly set in taking care of strangers, right? I mean, yeah. what is lower than that? Washing your hands and wearing a mask. And that we would protest over that? Protest. And how many people died in 2001? 3,000. 3,000 people, right? And, and we were devastated. devastated. Absolutely devastated. Like, this will never happen again, right? And maybe it's because we could blame some brown people for it. Maybe that was it. But the fact that we have that many people dying every three days in our country, and, and, and we don't even shed a tear. It's like, it, it's so isolated that that we could sit there and uh, you understand what I'm saying? We're, we're at 70 something thousand people yes. just that have just disappeared for our, from our lives. Right. And it just keeps going. And what happened? Right. Right. But what happened to us as a culture has been happening to us. I think since we were formed, right? I mean, I think, you know, this whole separation from British, you know, set us off on this trajectory and never owning that democracy has never worked for everybody. And I, listen, I'm not an anti-Americanist by any stretch. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to pack up and go to another country, although <laughs> what happens in 2020, this election. But, um, right? but it's mythology. It's always been mythology, hmm. right? It divides people. I think people grow up not knowing what the truth is. Do I really need people? Because actually everything in my body tells me I do. But yet, that's not being valued anywhere, right? There's lip service to, do you have a friend? Do you have a best friend? Or da, 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 how do you connect? You know, maybe some places have now, you know, that have really come around to social emotional learning, which to me is a code for how do you actually treat people, right? And how, and can you see that when, when you are kind to people, you benefit and they benefit. It's a win-win. It's not, there's a zero-sum game that we have been told is what drives our country and makes it the best, right? We're not going to stand down. It's crap. American exceptionalism is Exceptionalism, a right? It's a yes. crop. It is a crop. Mm -hmm. We have, just like every place in the world, we have faulty people. You know, we have some people that step up with courage that you don't know how they get. You get some that don't and they just hover in fear. And you know what? That's people. That's just people, mm -hmm. right? You know, but if you can bond together and get the best out of people, you know, you and I are stronger together than either one of us apart. And that doesn't get taught. 
that just doesn't get taught. What, what happens is in these times, we pull it out as if we can pull it off the shelf. We're all in this together. Mm-hmm. But we haven't been acting that way, right? Because mm-hmm. if we had been acting that way, we wouldn't have 1% who has most of the wealth. We wouldn't have the level of poverty. I want to talk about your, uh, you were talking about uh, the barn raising in one of your <laughs> articles. Uh, you know, you, you did an article about barn raising and, and you know, how isolationism is what people in power want. And, and so you talk about that. So you're on your way to what I was going to ask you anyway. Yeah. Well, it, right. It is, right? So we don't teach people actually the skills to bond and connect and be so strong with one another, right? Because we're, we're busy telling them, you better get all A's. You better be the best here. You better be the best here. You better best be the best here. The, you know, and this kind of best trophy um, replaces the real work of relationship and community building and human building, right? And then we have something horrible happen, be it a, you know, a school shooting, 9-11, a pandemic. And you can see people want to take this off the shelf, that illusion that we're all in this together. But actually, you know, within a fairly short amount of time, it all breaks down, right? Mm -hmm. And then we become these, this just mess of a country, some open, some not, some running in the beach, you know, spitting COVID everywhere and some, you know, locked in their bedrooms for, you know, 10 years. I mean, it, it, with no rhyme nor reason. What I was going to say is, why are we not talking about the level of poverty in this country that has existed and the fact that within a five-week period, we could find somewhere trillions of dollars right right if we were about caring about people that money would have been found to feed people that are dying right to i mean if you can't take a step back and look at the whole and see how scattered and half-assed it is then you get you know you get lost in the i think you get lost in dissociation and Mm -hmm. powerlessness Mm -hmm. you know we spent $3 trillion to pretend like things were normal instead of fixing things that needed to be fixed. Right, right. Why didn't last year we find a trillion dollars to feed everybody in our country? God, yes. Right? To send everybody to college. I don't care, whatever. If you, you know, the hypocrisy is, is just so sickening. And I think people don't see it. Well, damn, Amy's. <laughs> you both you both gave me chills today. Gosh. Yeah. Ah. You quoted isolation is a glue that holds oppression in place. Mm. Mm. Who did say that? Was it Karen Lang? Yes. Or... Right. And that's exactly what we're talking about, right? And that's exactly what, you know, I think Trump's strategy is. If you can divide people, if you get them feeling insecure like they're somehow on the outside less than, mm-hmm. then they are desperate to be included and they start doing what the people in power tell them they need to do. I mean, what's so sick about that, right, is it's using our biological need. It's an imperative for us not to be isolated. We die when we are isolated and that's concrete. We get sicker, 
you lose your mind, you start hurting yourself, you will kill yourself in those kind of conditions, right? Mm. That's before you even get to chronic isolation and impairing your immune system and getting sicker and dying. The literature on isolation leading to death is profound, okay? It is more robust than any other science, I think, that's out there, okay? Dean Ornish has a great book, Love and Survival, where he documents all of this. This is, and it was actually a bestseller. And like, what I always like to say is, why isn't, if that was a bestseller, which, you know, may mean it sold a million copies, but unfortunately there are billions of people in the world. Where did that message go? It kind of goes up in smoke into this hyper-capitalistic society where it has no receptor sites, right? It's got nowhere to stick because we are so pushing this other storyline that you can be strong and independent and you're a better person if you're on your own. It's that rugged individualism that actually Herbert Hoover talked about, you know, back in the twenties, I think rugged individualism. You shouldn't need the government to pick you up by your bootstraps. You know, you should be able to do that. Isolation using isolation as a strategy pits our basest biology, our biggest need to connect and turns it on ourselves so that then you have the power to isolate me. Once I'm isolated, I turn to you to get acceptance and to be part of a group. I feel better, but I can't challenge your belief system because you're in power. And the best I can do is feel secure. It's that tactic. I will isolate you, then define the parameters by which you get to be part of something, right? I have the power to do that. And then you come in and then you're, and then you're screwed because you have to believe in it. What do, you do? what do you do? He borrowed this same thing from the church. Yeah. No offense. I'm not every church. I don't, don't get no, me. No, no, I, I don't, no, trust me. But I'm, there, there are some ministers. Yeah. That's how they control their people. And the, and the only way that, uh, that they're going to ever get into heaven is by listening to what this person says. Exactly. Whether that's give us more money or whether that's let's hate these type of people because they're different than us. You got it. Right. That's right. So he's not doing anything new. This has been going on forever. It's not new. No, no. This is new even. But if you read that book, you know, Rising Out of Hatred, the path for white nationalism, for the acceptance of white nationalism over the past 20, 25 years to the Trump White House is staggering Hmm. staggering and and again uh, who knows what he believes or not believes i don't know that he believes anything really but being able to use this strategy to define reality with no pushback and that's that's what is happening with this current the divide right is they are defining reality it doesn't you know you can see somebody being this happening to them and they'll just say, no, that's not happening, right? I mean, like, you know, the nurse, I think the other day, bring the, bringing the nurses, nurse into it for nurses day. And then the nurse says, well, you know, we haven't had, I, I have been wearing my same N95 mask for two weeks. So not everybody's got their PPEs. And he's like, yeah, no, that's not correct. You know, I mean, basically he's telling you that it's not reality. Your reality is not reality. And I have the power to define it. Well, and, that's called faith, remember? If you've grown up and you're told that you have to believe in things that you can't see, that this is a faith thing and that good people have faith 
if you've got that, then it's easy to convert that into someone else that's supposed to be brought from God, you know, that's, and that's what he's going on. That's the type of people that he's getting. That's what he's getting. Yeah. Yeah. Blind faith. Blind faith. Yeah. I have an idea. Like one of my, one of my partially formed ideas that is sort Mm -hmm. of growing and I want to chew on it out loud. On our second episode, we had a, 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 someone called in and and left us some questions and she was asking about, because we had talked about self-care and she was basically saying that when she hears self-care, she thinks of, you know, like baths and, you know, a nice cup of tea and stuff as, as a white woman, but as, as a gay person, she thinks of it very differently uh, as like survival, Mm -hmm. like the, and, and she talked a little bit about living out loud and how important that was. And okay, so I'm thinking about self-care. And one of the things that I wanted to incorporate today was to talk about the positive relational moments as well. And that is an idea of self-care. Really, what it's sounding like to me is that self-care is taking care of each other. Exactly. Right. There is no self-care. And quite yeah. honest, when I go out and do my, you know, when I go do my workshops and I do this provocatively and purposefully, I, I don't talk about self-regulation. It's not what we do. If we are isolated, we can't self-regulate. If we have not had relationships that helps us build the inhibitory pathways to our fear centers, if we have not had those we cannot do what people classically think is self-regulation. So if you don't have those, a bath is not going to do anything for you, okay? (laughs) You're still isolated in that bathtub. And Dawn, some of my work is talking about, you know, sort of the, the pathways for connection that we all have, the neurological pathways for connection that are now well documented in the science literature and finding ways to support those because you're healthier as those grow and your relationships are healthier. So it sort of does this um, spiral up, right? Your relationships are better, then they feed into your own biology and make your biology stronger. And when your biology is stronger, you can make stronger relationships and it's a, you know, a spiral up as, as, as opposed to isolation, which is an absolute tanking always, right? So you know, it's where I wanna just get self out of the language. <laughs> and, I do, and I really do say that provocatively. We don't, it's sort of like we shouldn't have permission to have guns or use the word self because we don't understand what we're saying, right? We don't understand that using self in the way that it's conceptualized in our country is like pounding yourself in the head, right? Uh It hurts us. The way we build self and the way we conceptualize it hurts us. You want to talk about a relational self, great, we can use self there. But otherwise, self becomes synonymous with ego, with climbing the ladder, with I'm stronger than you, with hyper-competitive, and people don't, don't try to tease that out at all. You know, they've drank the Kool-Aid, the self-Kool-Aid, and they're just content to... I love that. I love the whole idea of, of just not, that there's really no self-regulation, that you I always think of just the self has to be in a context, like it always exist without other connections. That's right. And if it's not in a context, then it starts disintegrating. Our neural pathways, if they're not being stimulated, they start to get weaker. 
we get weaker out of context period so why do we keep enforcing you know that somehow we should be able to protect ourselves you know like okay dawn's here he's not going to have an impact on me of course he's going to have an impact on me i don't know what it's going to be but he's going to have an impact on me i'm going to have an impact on him you know this idea that we're these little you know uh, isolated automatrons is really hurting us yeah and so, so, you know, you mentioned the positive relational moment and uh, Don, this is part of the work that I've done, which is to, you know, cause people are always talking about, you know, as you said, self care and, you know, and meditation and, and trust me, I think all of those, you know, take a bath. I'm, I'm good with baths. I grew up with a, a mother that bathed two times a day. Okay. I, I'm not an oh, anti-bather. Wow. <laughs> right. Um, right. Bathing's good. I'd like to come down firmly on bathing. You know, so all those are good, but a positive relational moment kind of appreciates the fact that our relationships live within us, in our neural networks, right? And to the extent that we are well-connected, that we have regular contact with people that feels mostly supportive and helpful, even if we're in a fight with them or anger that we trust, then that is what stimulates a resilience within our bodies and our brains to keep taking on the curveballs that life throws us. And so what I've what I start many of my workshops with, Don, is um, something called visualizing a positive relation a moment. And I literally will have people I'll say to them, I'm gonna time this for one moment, one minute. And I want you to remember a time in your life, uh, recently, hopefully, where you were interacting with something, somebody in a positive way. And I want you to try it on, get it near your body. Like, what were the sounds and what were the feelings and what were you talking about? And where did it all settle in your body? And what happens with that? I mean, it's been fascinating because I've done this, you know, actually quite, quite literally all over the world now. But what, what happens is that I watch people's faces, they shut their eyes and people just, their shoulders go down. You know, some people smile, they, you know, and I ask, you know, kind of what did you experience? And basically what it does is if you have those good relationships, right? If you have, have had those good relationships, it changes your phys physiology to one that is dominated. I use that word. I don't like that word either, but it, it, it's, you know, dominated by, the power of relationship in those pathways of connection. So you stimulate the smart vagus nerve, which is a branch of the nerve of your autonomic nervous system that um, actually goes into your whole muscles of facial expression and your inner ear, um, those little muscles in the inner ear and your throat. And when you're visualizing, when you're imagining that you're in safe relationship or when you are, then what happens is usually your face brightens up, you listen more intently. All of that stimulates your smart vagus nerve, which sends a signal to your stress response and says, stand down, you're not needed. You feel calmer, literally calmer mm -hmm. from it. So people will say, I feel happier. You know, the dopamine gets flowing, you know, so it's a whole, um, you know, and I, so what I say to people is, listen, that lives in you. Your relationships live within you. What if you start feeding yourself your best relationships rather than your worst isolation or your worst interactions, right? You know, most people come home and they're thinking about, oh, that awful conversation I had with the boss or the guy at the gas station that was bugging the crap out of me or, you know what I mean? And rather than, or, or 
Trump, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rather than, you know, really who's in there that you can access anytime you want. I'm so happy right in this moment, <laughs> like right now. <laughs> I, I'm excited about, you know, because Don, you and I talk about bringing this into the community more and it just feels like, like today we managed to tie a lot of it together that, that we haven't necessarily tied together and that feels really, really good to me. Right. And, and honestly, like she's divined RCT the best. I finally get it through Amy. I finally get it. <laughs> Wonderful. I mean, I really do. The, yeah. the whole concept of RCT makes sense to me. Yeah. I'm glad you know? to hear that. I'm glad to hear that because I really do have one of my things, Dawn, is to be able to, you know, like when I even sat down to write a book, it was sort of, you know, I didn't want to write an intellectual book. I want to write mm -hmm. something that somebody can pick up. That Don like, can listen to. That Don can listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to deal with those intellectuals. We, yeah, right. <laughs> no, 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 no. want no. Don Griffin to be able to understand it. <laughs> if Don will be my bar. If Don can understand it. If Don can understand it, we're okay. <laughs> I love it. The, the stuff that I teach to psychiatrists or psychologists is the exact same stuff I want to teach to kindergartners mm. and nursery school kids right i want them to know about their smart vagus nerve and mm -hmm. what it feels like what part of their brain gets activated when they are socially excluded you know that pain pathway that it's the exact same as having physical pain that's why it hurts so much when somebody's left you out and do you want to be doing that to somebody else you know mm -hmm. kind of like really getting it like how we work as interconnected beings Rather than, you know, replacing the mythology of hyper-competitive, well, what's Melania's, I'm going to make fun of her, be best, you know? <laughs> be <that>? best. <laughs> what? I mean, be best. I don't know what that means, you know, but it, but it captures something about yes. the soaps and mirrors of the hyper-individualistic society. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm all for people trying as hard as you can and feeling good about what you're doing, but be best, be best. I don't know what that means, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh my gosh. This has been awesome. Yeah. Everything I want in my afternoon, all, <laughs> even during a pandemic. Yeah, even during a pandemic. Well, I, I would like to say to you guys, I didn't know what this was going to be. They <laughs> had no idea. I have the energy that you see now was generate, you know, generated amongst us, right? Because I was falling asleep in my sessions all day. Like, okay. um, but you know what I mean? Like, it, 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 you know, and it's powerful, right? I mean, being able to, you know, connect and toss around ideas and think about, you know, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to sleep tonight, Dawn, no doubt, thinking, damn, I want to know more about what it was like for Dawn to grow up with a black father police officer. You know what I mean? Like, like what in the world, how was that? And how did you get the messages you needed to stay? Oh, it was, it was, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story because uh, growing up in a predominantly white, small town in Southern Indiana. Yeah. In the 70s. So, yeah, it was That captures me. 
some stuff, right? Yes, yes, it does. <laughs> I, yes, I, it like, does. Yeah. We, yeah, and, I, and, yeah, and it's kind of neat. Our, our relationship is great, great. Me and Amy's is because we grew up in the same town together at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but experienced it differently because she's a white woman and I'm a right. white black man. And socioeconomically, we were in different positions. My dad was a working class guy and yeah. Amy was... We were medium. You were not medium. Above medium. <laughs> you were not medium. So it is kind of neat that we become uh, friends, you know? Yeah, oh, it's very neat. One of the things that I've discovered in my travels around class, <laughs> I don't know, Amy, and, and trust me, I'm not dissing on you. I don't know what <laughs> class you do. Okay, that's in. what we do, so. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I found that people, white people either really want to build up what class they were with uh-huh. <laughs> or really pretend they were middle class or lower middle class. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and actually I'm talking about my partner who does that all the time. It's like, uh, Amy, if, if your house has a name. <laughs> <laughs> it was historical. I know. <laughs> exactly. No, that's exactly. John, I'm with you. If your house has a name. Yeah. If okay. your house has a name, you're, you, you know. You yeah. were, I think part of it is it was always really important to my dad to, to be from a working class family. And he was, you know, his parents worked at RCA. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had a, a TV because his dad brought home one yeah. piece from the line at a time. Oh, until he had oh my God, that is so TV. awesome. Right, that's, that's great, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but you can see right here. I mean, this is how we broad strokes things and start yep. having assumptions. You know, I can start having assumptions about you and your rich childhood when you're like, yeah, I know it was one television part at a time. <laughs> you know, and eventually we got this and maybe things built on it. But I, I get that. Yeah. No, but Amy's always been this genuine. This is, oh. this is Amy, like, to a T, yeah. like, even in high school. So we yeah. were friends then, and it didn't yeah. matter. Yeah. And in, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, well, Amy, I hope you'll come back because we didn't even talk about your new book, and I think that's going to be really exciting. I would really love to come back and talk about my new book, and maybe um, even do it with Isaac. <gasps> yeah. And I, I know we have to go, but uh, just to give Don the backdrop, which was this man Isaac Napper, who's the same age as I am, was a young black guy in Louisiana who was falsely convicted of murdering my father what um, yeah yeah and oh he, my gosh he was, please come back yeah and we have um five years ago it's a long story but i my sister and i traveled to new orleans met him we're we're friends now and we have done a book together about our experience of me being a white kid growing up in maine my father had traveled to louisiana gotten murdered was kind of a high profile case down there and we as white people were told we were just railroaded into believing these young men had done it no truth to it whatsoever they you know prosecution misconduct horrible horrible story but anyway we've we've written this book and we finally have a publisher and it's been a a labor of pain and love yeah. Oh my gosh. This is where I'm going next in my career in my life, which is really wrongful conviction, why it impacts all of us, all yeah. of us. You know, don't kid yourself. You need to care about the th- hundreds of thousands. 
of black men that are in prison wrongly convicted and white people too, but you know, cause the system sucks. Mm -hmm. And we were screwed as, as white people, we were flat out lied to. Mm -hmm. by oh my God. Do you think we can get you here? Both of you guys here? I was it, just thinking that. Yeah, I yeah. I think that, yeah. I think we could probably. I, yeah, I think that would be really neat. Yeah. No, Isaac is a great guy, um, and he uh, he's he's a sweetheart. Yeah, uh, we're 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 in it. So okay. Yeah, I would okay. Love, um. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, we've got enough people that can get that happen and that listen to us. That <laughs> yeah. 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 Good. That would be. Awesome. You know who you are. All right. <laughs> okay. You'll be getting. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh right. well thank you all right guys good to see you thank you nice, nice meeting you amy i feel like uh, i've gained a friend so too like you too so let's uh keep it going right okay absolutely this episode of my racist friend is a production of the bloomington center for connection an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection this conversation between Dr. Amy Banks, Don Griffin Jr., and Amy McKeese, LCSW, took place at separate locations in Minnesota and Indiana on Thursday, May 7th, 2020, and was edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. You and your I think I think we name this 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 uh, episode as be best though. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm good with with that. a question with a question mark. Be best. Be best. Be best. Be best. <laughs> <laughs>